Lord, in the world that we, that we live in and that we see all around us, humility is something that is greatly lacking. But Lord, the truth is, as we do humble ourselves before you, you draw us closer to yourself. As we accept in our hearts that we desire less of us and more of you, you reward us with just that, more of you. Lord, our desire tonight as we gather here together to sing your praises and to study your word is to know you more, to draw closer to you in this relationship that you desire to have with us. Lord, that's beyond any of our, our comprehension, how you could desire that with us. But Lord, we embrace your love and we desire that work in us tonight. So have your way, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Take out your Bibles. Second Samuel, chapter 18. Second Samuel 18. The last few weeks as we've been studying the life of David, we have seen that his son Absalom has, uh, has seized control, has done a, done a coup, if you would, and, and got a lot, the, many of the people of Israel to come alongside him to overthrow David as the king. And, and David, we could look at this and say, well, David running away as a coward, but we see and we know David's heart, and we see that even as it plays through tonight. His desire was not to pull people into this civil war where people would be, innocent people would be, would be hurt or killed. And so his desire even was to, to, to pull away, to, to move away and let God sort through the things. And as we've, we looked at last week, we saw that, that God was working behind the scenes uh, even through this man, Hushai, who was an uh, advisor to David, but went in to advise Absalom and, and gave him advice that Absalom then follows. And we see, and we saw in the, in the text, it tells us that God was working in that to thwart Absalom and, and his, his designs and his plans. And, and then David, David was provided for, and all of the people that, that fled with David were provided for miraculously by, by other people, and God just using that and working miraculously through that. We left off at the end of chapter 17, so we pick up now in chapter 18, verse 1. Then David numbered the people who were with him and set over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. Now, we mentioned when David first left, there was 600 people that went with him. But people have now been coming, people that are loyal to David and followers of, of the true and living God. They're coming from all over, and thousands gather together now with David in the wilderness here. And David now is going to set up a command, if you would, to no doubt he knows, as the word has come to him, that Absalom is bringing an army, a, a large fighting force, to come and fight against him, knowing that their primary goal, their primary thing, is to take David out. David, verse 2, sent the people out, one-third under the command of Joab, 
one-third under the command of Abishai, the son of Zariah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the command of Ittai, the Gittite, the king, and the king said to the people, I myself will surely also go out with you. Now, we mentioned Ittai the Gittite was the one that David even said, you just got here and you're not, you're not even one of us. You're not, a, you're not a, an Israelite. You can stay and you can stay safely here with Absalom ruling. You won't have any problems with that. And he says, no, I will follow you. And David rewards that loyalty by actually putting him over a third of the, of the army Notice at the end of verse 2, David says, I myself will surely go out with you. I'm going out to battle with you. David, no doubt, wondering or thinking in his mind, I'm not going to make the same mistake I made years ago, a couple of chapters ago for us, where the, the, at the time when kings are to go out to battle, David stayed back home. He said, I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm going to go out and surely fight with you. But, verse 3, the people said, you should not go out. For if we indeed flee, they will not care about us. Even if half of us die, they will not care about us, but you are worth 10,000 of us. Therefore now it is better that you be ready to help us from the city. Everybody knew that this wasn't a battle against Israelites. This was a battle of Absalom and David. As soon as David was taken out, the, the war would be over. That was, and so they're saying, don't come fight with us. You stay here in the safety of the city. You can manage things from here. If things get out of hand, you can, you can send help. You can do these things, but don't come with us. David says, verse 4, Then the king said to them, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate and all the people went out by hundreds and thousands. We see the humility in David in that, that, that he listens to the advice that he receives from these people and, and he says, okay, whatever, whatever you say, I will do. I will sit back here and, and lead from here. The king charged Joab and Abishai and Ittai saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom, and all the people heard. When the king charged all the commanders concerning Absalom, David gave very clear instructions, Absalom is not to be harmed. In this battle, in this fight, deal gently with him. Do, do, not, do not kill Absalom. And it says, everybody heard it. That's going to come into play here in just a little bit. Then, verse 6, the people went out into the field against Israel, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. So there's a, a thick forest area that is there. They're fighting out in the fields, and the battle then moves into the, into the forest, into the woods. The people of Israel were defeated there before the servants of David, and the slaughter there that day was great, 20,000 men. Now, we could just kind of gloss over that number, but think of that for a second. 20,000 men died in this battle. That is, it's really mind-boggling to think of a number like that. You might, you know, an exchange of, of fighting, and this is hand-to-hand -hand combat. This wasn't like, you know, David's people flew over and dropped a bomb on a, on a, on a big contingent of people. Hand-to-hand -hand combat, one person dying at a time at the hand of another. And again, remember, these are Israelites fighting against one another. The battle, verse 8, for the battle was... There was spread over the whole countryside, 
And the forest devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. It spread over the whole countryside. 20,000 men. We, we look at this as, it, we look back. We got to kind of dial it back a couple of chapters. And we see that this is all because of the greed, the selfishness, the covetousness of Absalom, who had a bone to pick with his dad, and, and instead of dealing with it, instead of dealing with it in a biblical way, in a, in, a, in a way that would honor God, he went behind his dad's back, remember, he sat in the city gate, and as people were coming in, started saying, yeah, wouldn't it be great if the king cared about you? You know, if I was king, I'd care for you. You know, he's got way too many things going on. He's not going to listen to you, but I'll listen to you. And undermined the authority of his father, got a bunch of people to buy into that. And as a result of that, 20,000 men die in this battle, and it's spread over the whole countryside. Decisions like that, attitudes like that, have far-reaching effects, far greater than just dealing with Absalom and David. All of these innocent people that were sucked in, believing in the lies, believing in what they were hearing, choosing sides and dividing. And again, these are the children of Israel. This isn't like the Philistines fighting against Israel. This is the children of Israel. And I make a point of that because that type of thing happens in the church every day. That type of thing happens in the body of Christ all over the world all the time. Churches split. Churches are divided because somebody says, you know what, I don't, I don't agree with what leadership is doing or I don't like this direction and I could do it better and starts talking to other people and spreading these types of things. And before you know it, there's two groups and then it splits out. And, and innocent people are caught up in the mess. People are looking around going, what is going on? And it spreads to the whole countryside. It's, it happens in churches everywhere. It's happened here. It's happened in uh, friends of, pastors of friends of mine I talk to. It happens in their church. It happens all over the place. And innocent people are caught up. And it spreads out over the whole countryside. It spreads out over the whole community. People say, oh, do you hear what's going on over at that church? And, and then the enemies of the church love to pile on and divide and everything. And it all starts again the same way it started with Absalom. Greed, covetousness, pride. I could do it better. Guys, if you ever have a concern within the church there's a way to deal with it. There's a way to deal with it biblically. Go to the elders in the church. If you have a problem with me personally, I'm not telling you, don't deal with it. I'm not telling you, you know, tough lumps. <laughs> you, go, you go to the elders in the church and you, and you talk through it biblically. And if it comes to a point where you know what, I just can't, I just can't submit to the authority in the church because I don't agree with these certain things, that's okay you're not forced to stay here. You're not forced to stay anywhere. But honor the Lord, and if you leave, leave quietly. Don't, don't, again, draw people with you and take people with you and cause division and that type of stuff. And I'm not, please hear my heart in this. This isn't a selfish thing at all. 
There are many, many close friends of mine who've been in ministry with us for, for years have decided to leave the church for good reasons, for God calling them and doing that. God, I've said this before. I, wherever God calls you, that's where you should be. Selfishly, I would love for you to be here at Calvary Chapel Surprise, but I got, a, I got news for you. We don't have enough seats in this auditorium to seat everybody in Surprise, all the unsaved people. I pray all the time that God would raise up other, other godly men teaching the word of God, that churches would be everywhere in surprise. And, and again, if, if it's here, if it's anywhere, if you have a problem at all, deal with it biblically. Dividing the body of Christ is, is serious stuff. <laughs> and, and not just the damage it does to, again, the, the church body, but the body as a whole. Innocent people caught in it. Verse 9, now Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. I love that. I have that underlined. Happened to. Nothing happens to in God's economy. God's not a God of chance. God, God's not taken by surprise by anything. It's not, it's, it, nothing, nothing happens without God's knowledge. Nothing, I, I love that. Does it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurs to God? You know? I mean, this is all, this is all God's got this all going. It just so happens that, that Absalom's met the servants of David, and you knew that was certainly going to happen. For Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak tree, and his head caught fast in the oak. So he was left hanging between heaven and earth, while the mule that was under him kept going. Now, it's kind of a comical scene to think of, actually. It must have been before he got his annual haircut, maybe. And you know, if you haven't been with us, he cut his hair once a year, and the hair weighed about six pounds that he cut off. He had massive hair going everywhere. Serves him right. We're getting caught in a tree. But he... He's, he's going under this thicket and probably tried to duck and his hair and his head gets caught up and the mule just keeps on going and there he is just dangling. I, I can't help again but to just draw back to parallels in this, not, not a hair analogy, but a pride analogy. It wasn't, it wasn't Absalom's hair that caused the problem, it was Absalom's pride. It was Absalom's covetousness, again, this idea that I can somehow do it better. And, and we all have to be careful because we can all fall into that thing and not, not taking it from wherever it might be. We can, we can make idols out of anything. Absalom made an idol out of himself. It was pride. And pride, as the Bible tells us, pride goes before the fall. Pride is a snare, just as... Absalom's hair was a snare. Paul writes to Timothy, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved minds and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means to gain. 
all godliness is actually a means of great gain if it is accompanied by contentment. That's a huge problem for Absalom. He wasn't content with the fact that his dad was king. He wasn't content with the fact that things were playing out the way that they were. So he took matters into his own hands. And again, his pride Paul continues, for we have brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and by some longing for it have wandered away from the faith, piercing themselves with many griefs. Verse 11, but flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness Godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Those are the things that should define us. Those are the things, Paul tells him to pursue those things, to go after those things. Absalom pursued pride. He pursued position. He pursued power. And it was those things that were a snare to him. So he's hanging by his hair from a tree. And when a certain man saw it, he told Joab, the commander of one of the, the third of the army, and said, behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Then Joab said to the man who told him, now behold, you saw him? Why then did you not strike him there to the ground and I would have given you 10 pieces of silver and a belt? The man said to Joab, even if I should receive a thousand pieces of silver in my hand. I would not put my hand against the king's son, for in our hearing, the king charged you and Abishai and Ittai, saying, protect for me the young man Absalom. Otherwise, if I had dealt treacherously against his life and there is nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. If I do this, and King David's gonna find out, which of course he is, he's gonna find out I did it. You're gonna back off and say, I won my idea. <laughs> then Joab said, I will, waste, I will not waste time here with you. So he took three spears in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And 10 young men who carried Joab's armor gathered around and struck Absalom and killed him. So Joab going directly against the order that the king had given him, King David. And he could have easily bound Absalom, cut his hair off and got him out of the tree and brought him back. But he again, he takes now matters into his own hands. No doubt probably thinking, again, I know what David's gonna do. He'll give him a full pardon. He'll, you know, and the, I don't wanna be going through this thing again in five years or whenever it is. So again, he takes matters into his own hands and kills Absalom. But then verse 16, it says, Then Joab blew the trumpet, and the people returned from pursuing Israel, for Joab restrained the people. Now that this is done, now that Absalom is dead, he blows the trumpet, which basically tells everybody, all right, stop fighting. Quit pursuing Israel now. Quit pursuing Absalom's army, because Absalom is now dead. He calls it off. They took Absalom and cast him into a deep pit in the forest and erected over him a very great heap of stones, and all Israel fled, each to his tent. Now, all Israel, that is those that were fighting with Absalom. They all take off and run to, their, run to their homes. Verse 18 says, Now Absalom, in his lifetime, 
had taken and set up for himself a pillar, which is in the king's valley, for he said, I have no son to preserve my name. So he named the pillar after his own name, and it is called Absalom's Monument to this day. Interesting when we look at that, because Absalom says, I have, I have no son to carry on my name. We know from just back in chapter 14 that Absalom didn't have one son, he had three sons. And when I, when I think of that, I'm thinking, okay, did they, are they all dead? You know, none of that's recorded for us. But I can look at Absalom and draw some conclusions. And again, I'm just going to throw that out there and then make a point with it. He had three sons. But none of them were going to carry on what he wanted carried on. He had built a monument for himself. It's all about Absalom. And the world has this idea that I need to leave a monument. I need to build for myself a monument of wealth, a monument of, of power, a monument of possessions, so that that will carry on my legacy. People will be talking about me for generations because of who I was and what I did. Guys, the greatest monument that you can leave is a godly example for your children. That is the monument that lives on and lives on and lives on. Passed on down. All of these, I, all of these people, I, I don't know what your political, who you're, who you're pulling for, and this isn't the point I'm making, but there's a whole lot of arrogant blowhards that are trying to build a monument for themselves. Be a hero to your kids. Leave them, not money. They'll spend it. Not possessions. They'll break them. Leave them a godly example. Leave them a godly example to follow that they can say, you know, my, my dad was a great man of God. My mom was a woman of prayer. You want to leave a monument for your kids? Pray for them. Absalom, again, more conserved, notice, to preserve my name. God, our, our name doesn't need to be preserved. It needs to glorify the name above all names. That's what our life needs to do. Leave that as a monument for your kids. Well, Verse 19, then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, one of the priest's sons, he was one of, running back and forth, if you, you know, that they were doing that stuff there to bring news to David, says, please let me run and bring the king the news that the Lord has freed him from the hand of the enemies. Remember, David's back in the city. He doesn't know what's happened yet. So this Ahimaaz comes up to him and says, please let me run to go tell David. Listen to what Joab says, though. You are not the man to carry the news this day, but you shall carry news another day. However, you shall, not, you shall carry no news today because the king's son is dead. Ahimaaz wanted to be the guy that brought the news to David that says, hey, we won. But Joab knew. Joab 
knows David and knows him well. And he knows that David's going to be more concerned about what happened with Absalom. So he, Joab's trying to actually protect Ahimaaz here. He's saying, I want you. Another day I'm going to have you bring good news. But this, this news, I know, isn't going to be good news to David. Kids, young people, even every one of us can learn something. If, we need to listen to the counsel of other people, especially Elders, especially people who have experience and wisdom, sometimes we might think, man, this is, this is the best thing. This is, this, is, this is obviously God leading this way or whatever it is. And to have the wise counsel to say, you know what, let's hold off. Or, you know, I, 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 I've been down this road before. Let's pray. Let's, let's do, and sometimes especially young people can get, just get going off and saying, I know this is the way I gotta go. I gotta run this way. Listen to those with experience and with knowledge, godly people with experience and knowledge. Joab knew. He knew better. He told him, he's, the, the king's son is dead. Then, verse 21, Joab said to the Cushite, go tell the king what you have seen. So the Cushite bowed to Joab and ran. So there, here's a foreigner that was fighting with him, and he says, you go tell him. Yes, sir, and he takes off running. Now Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said once more to Joab, but whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. Please. Parents, right? Please. No, please. No, please. Like a little kid here. Joab said, why would you run, my son, since you will have no reward for going? The Cushite's already gone. He's way out ahead of you. You're just going to run. You're not going to get any reward. He's going to do it. Why would you want to do that? But whatever happens, he said, I will run, begging him, let me go. So he said to him, run. I'm assuming Joab's thinking he's, there's no way he can catch that Cushite who's got a couple mile head start by now. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and passed the Cushite. So he knew a shortcut. And he runs around and he passes the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates and the watchman went up on the roof of the gate by the wall and raised his eyes and looked and behold a man running by himself. And the watchman called and told the king and the king said, if he is by himself, there is good news in his mouth. <laughs> Looks out, the, he sees the Cushite running and he tells David, and David says, well, if he's running by himself, if there's one guy running, that's good news. If there's a thousand guys running, that's bad news. <laughs> but there's one, so that's good news. He came nearer and nearer. Then the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gatekeeper, and he said, behold, another man running by himself. And the king said, this one is also bringing good news. The watchman said, I think the running of the first one is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. The king said, this is a good man and comes with good news. I don't know what it was about his stride or his gait, but the guy said, man, that looks like Ahimaaz running here. Ahimaaz beats the Cushite, gets there first in verse 28. Ahimaaz called and said to the king, all is well. And he prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground. And he said, blessed is the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who lifted their hands against my Lord the king. And the king said, is it well with the young man Absalom? And Ahimaaz answered, when Joab sent the king's servant 
And your servant, I, I saw a great tumult, but I do not know what it was. Joab was right. Amahaz comes with the news that, hey, we won. The battle's been won. What about Absalom? And he lies. Um, ah, there was a whole lot of commotion going on, but I don't know. I don't know. He knows very well what happened. Joab said, the king's son is dead. Ahimaaz is a fast messenger, but a bad messenger. He only wanted to bring the good news. And bottom line, guys, we have a message as Christians. But if we can't deliver the whole news, we shouldn't be delivering any of it. There is a great move in the church today. Not, not this church. <laughs> talk about the church as a whole. It says, well, we don't, want to we don't talk about sin. We don't talk about hell. God's given me a positive message to bring. The, the problem with that is it's not the full message. The problem with that is that it's, it's deceptive. If we don't talk about sin and hell, but we talk about salvation, you got to get saved. Saved from what? And when we, if we don't talk about sin and we don't talk about hell and we can't tell them what they're saved from, we'll say, well, we can tell you what you're saved to, prosperity. You can have everything you want. God's got a wonderful plan for your life. The problem with that is it's, it's only part of the message. The problem with that is that people that buy into that message and then life goes south, they say, what's up with that? You told me everything was going to be great. That's, that, so, so how can, how, how do we, we have to give the whole message. We need to talk about sin. That's why we're in the mess that we're in. We need to talk about hell because if people don't understand the reality of hell, why would I want to change anything? I think one of the biggest things that's missing, one of the biggest things that's missing in the message today is the lordship of Jesus Christ. Even in churches that will say, okay, sin, hell, get away from that, accept Jesus as your savior and go to heaven. Great. But again, that's part of it. In the book of Acts, Jesus is referred to as Lord way more times than he's referred to as Savior. And that doesn't diminish his role as our Savior. He's the only one. But it elevates his role as Lord. And Lord means he's in control. Lord means he calls the shots. Lord means he sits on the throne of my heart now. Lord means I hear what he says and I do what he says. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I say? Jesus said, you gotta count the cost. And there's a cost. When we understand it fully, it's a cost we we're glad to pay, but it means we need to die to ourselves. We need to say that I, 
I, I've made a perfect mess of everything. Jesus, you come in and take control of my... Now, I die to myself. Jesus said, you got to take up your cross daily and follow me. If that's not part of the message, we're not giving them the full message. But the beauty of it is, is that when we do, when we make him Lord of our life, when we're willing to take up our cross daily and follow him, the rewards are unbelievable. The Bible tells tells us that, that he will give us the desires of our heart. That doesn't mean the desires of our putrid, sinful heart. It's the desires of our redeemed new heart. He places his desires in our heart, and we desire those then, and then he gives them to us. He puts the desires in our heart that we would want if we had enough sense to want them. <laughs> and then he loves to bless and to give those things. But that's got to be all a part of it. Got to count the cost, not just the blessings. And the blessings are immense, but there's a cost involved. Well, Ahimaaz only brought part of the message. Then the king said, turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still, probably with his head down. Behold, the Cushite arrived, and the Cushite said, let, let my lord the king receive good news, for the lord has freed you this day from the hand of all those who rose up against you. Then the king said to the Cushite, it is well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, let the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be as that young man. No doubt with the way he said that, David knew. The king was deeply moved and went to the chamber over the gate and wept. And thus he said as he walked, oh my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you, oh Absalom, my son, my son. David is king of Israel, but he's also father and grieving heavily here for his son in his death, but he's now neglecting his role as king and leader in the way he's reacting. And we see this unfold for us as we begin chapter 19. Then it was told Joab, behold, the king is weeping and mourns for Absalom. Joab, again, knew that this was going to happen. The victory that day was turned to mourning for all the people. For the people heard it and said that day, the king is grieved for his son. So the people went by stealth into the city that day as people who are humiliated steal away when they flee in battle. So here comes the victorious army and they've heard that their king is weeping over the fact that, and so they're just kind of with their heads down and kind of sneaking off. Instead of having a cry of victory, they're sneaking away to their homes. The king covered his face and cried out with a loud voice, oh my son Absalom, oh Absalom my son, my son. Verse five, then Joab came into the house to the king and said, today you have covered with shame the faces of all of your servants who today have saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines by loving those who hate you and by hating those who love you. For you have shown today that princes and servants are nothing to you. For I know this day that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. That's not, certainly not David's heart. He didn't want everybody else to be dead. 
But sometimes we can get so caught up in our, our immediate situation, the gravity of what it is that we're facing, the difficulties and, and the, the mountain that is in front of us, and we can get so focused on that that we can miss all of these other things that are going on around us. Again, that's certainly not his, his heart, but that's the perception. He was looking at it from one angle, but Joab is saying, dude, when I look at you, this is what I see. This is the perspective that everyone else has. We all need people in our lives. There's a lot of, a lot of bad stuff about Joab. We're going to get to more of that, but there's one good trait. At least he was willing, because the way he just spoke to the king, he could have been killed but he was willing to stand up and say the truth. Willing to stand up, no matter how difficult it was to deliver and even harder to hear, he spoke the truth. He said, David, you have to hear this. There are people around you that are hurt because of your actions, and you don't see it. You don't get it. We need people like that. I need people like that. My wife is a beautiful example of that to me. Many times she'll say, honey, you didn't, you didn't see your face, but this is what you were saying with your facial expressions. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> that's not what I meant. That's not what was in my heart. She said, but that's what they saw, because that's what I saw. And willing to go and say that. Husbands and wives, that's, a, that's something that needs to happen, because especially us guys, we can, yeah, I'm pretty demonstrative at times and I can come across a certain way and totally miss that and to be, have somebody to say, hey, hey, this is, this is the way it came across. And we have to be able to, we have to be willing to receive that when it comes as well as David does here. As difficult as that was to hear and as difficult as it was to now do an about face, David does. Joab continues with his counsel now, therefore, verse 7, go and speak kindly to your servants, for I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, surely not a man will pass through the night with you, and this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. Everyone will turn their back on you if you don't go fix this right now. So the king arose and sat in the gate. When they told all the people, saying, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate, then all the people came before the king. Now Israel had fled, each to his tent, all of those that were following Absalom. All the people were quarreling throughout all the tribes of Israel. I told you that was a dumb idea, you know, just going back and forth, saying, the king has delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines, but now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. However, Absalom, whom we anointed over us, has died in battle. Now then, why are you silent about bringing the king back? We gotta fix this. We gotta, you know, we made a mistake. Let's go make David our king again. Then King David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house, since the word of all Israel has come to the king, even to his house? You are my brothers. You are, bone of my, you are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? Now, the elders of Judah, that is, those are David's people, they're also Absalom's people, and those are the ones who first went to Absalom. And David is now extending, if you would, the olive branch to them, saying, 
why aren't you coming to receive me back? Not, why, why is it that you're the last ones now that, that seem to be talking about this? And no doubt they're probably thinking, man, we got it, we got it bad coming. We were the ones who turned our back on him first. Say to Amasa, you, are you not bone, my bone and my flesh? May God do so to me and more also if you will not be commander of the army before me continually in place of Joab. Now if you remember, Amasa was Absalom's commander was fighting for David, but he was one that went with Absalom and was the commander of his army. And here David is saying to him, you'll be commander in my army. That, that reveals a lot to me about David's heart. Going to the one who was leading the army against him, no doubt seeing in him a, a brokenness, uh, 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 an understanding that he made the wrong decision in that, and he's saying, you're my brother. You come. Now, there may also have been, again, conjecture, <laughs> something here, because notice he says, you will be commander of my army before me continually in place of Joab. No doubt David now knows that Absalom was hanging in a tree and Joab killed him. And because of that direct disobey of an order, especially as one that he's placed in command and going against a direct order, basically saying, Joab, you're demoted. Joab's not going to take kindly to that, as we'll see in chapter 20. But again, I see in here too also the heart of, of David, wanting to reconcile, wanting to bring things together. And what a way to do that than to reach out to someone that, is, that was coming against you at one point. Now, he's not here, I don't see him, and I didn't ask him permission beforehand, so I'm, but I'm sure he wouldn't mind. Pastor Allen, when he was pastoring a church down in Mexico years ago, had, had, a, had a man in his church do what we just talked about earlier. Rose up, divided, was in town speaking negatively against that. And, and Alan admits there was bitterness, there was anger, there was a lot of things in there. But the Lord so spoke to Alan's heart about forgiveness and un unity and coming together. Later on, a few years later, Alan actually had him come in and speak in his church. Again, a desire for reconciliation. And that's David's heart here, to reconcile. Let's, let's do what we can in even bringing a commander that was against him back in there. Now, it doesn't mean that we just do this blindly, as we're going to see in a moment. Verse 14, we'll finish this up. Verse 14, thus he turned the hearts of all the men of Judah as one man, so they sent word to the king saying, return you and all your servants. So this extension of this grace to this man stirred in the hearts of all of Judah the king then returned and came as far as the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal in order to meet the king, to bring the king across the Jordan. So here, here comes Judah, the tribe of Judah, David's people, to meet him at the Jordan, to welcome him back. Verse 16, then Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, who was from Bohurim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. 
Remember Shimei, he was the one a couple chapters ago that when David was leaving, he was the one that was standing, remember, on the other side of the, of the ravine shouting insults and curses at David, running along and throwing rocks and throwing stones. And one of David's men says, you want me to go cut his head off? And David said, no, just leave him alone. Well, now David's coming back and Shimei's like, I better fix this. Verse 17, there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, with Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul. We'll talk about him in a minute, too. And his 15 sons and his 20 servants with him, and they rushed to the Jordan before the king. Then they kept crossing the fjord to bring over the king's household and to do what was good in his sight. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. So he said to the king, let not my Lord consider me guilty, nor remember what your servant did wrong on the day when the Lord, my Lord the king came out from Jerusalem, so that the king would take it to heart. For your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come today, the first of all of the house of Joseph, to go down to meet my Lord the king. Notice, my Lord the king, king, Lord, king, servant. You know, he's really laying it on. So that the king would take it to heart. He's selling it. <laughs> He's selling it really hard. And before we go too far with that, that we need to understand that there's a huge difference between repentance, truly being broken and sorry over your sin, and being sorry things didn't work out the way you thought they were. That's, what ha that's what's going on here. We'll see that play out years later when, in Solomon's reign. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification with, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it out with tears. Just because he was crying and sorry, Bible records for us, godless Esau found no place for repentance. He did not truly repent. He wasn't truly broken over what had happened. Now, we have to be careful because Paul warns us in Romans that that's not our job to determine who's truly repentant and who's not. It says in Romans chapter 2, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself for you who practice these same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. It's not, it's not up to us to be the judge. God alone can see a person's heart and see if they truly are. I think it's, I think it's just as as sad when someone comes not repentant, not truly sorry, but playing the game to try to get back into the graces of someone, 
just as sad as that is, is the one who someone truly comes and says, you know, I am really sorry. And you know what? I don't accept your apology. I don't believe that you're truly sorry. We see here in David's reaction that I don't know that he necessarily believed him, but he certainly extended the benefit of the doubt. But, verse 21, But Abishai, the son of Zariah, said, Should not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? There he goes again. Let me, seriously, dude, let me cut his head off. <laughs> David then said, What have I to do with you, O sons of Zariah, that you should this day be an adversary to me. Should any man be put to death in Israel today? For do I not know that I am king over Israel today? I don't need to kill somebody to prove that I'm king. <laughs> God's put me here. I don't need to show or flex my muscle. Nobody's going to die today. King said to Shimei, you shall not die. Thus the king swore to him. Now, David does not trust Shimei. We'll see this again a few years later on David's deathbed when he's talking to Solomon. He says, watch this guy. Watch Shimei. He's, he's you know, don't, don't just let him go whatever he's doing. You keep an eye on him. But we see again that he's, there's forgiveness. There's not, there's not restitution being sought for the way he, did, the way he handled it before. Verse 24, then Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, it's actually the son of Jonathan, came out to meet the king. That's not a typo, by the way. When they say son of, that descendant of. Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came to meet the king, and he had neither cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came home in peace. So Mephibosheth Probably not smelling real good or looking real good. But this was an act of, he was mourning for the king. He was truly upset about what was going on. And this was his way. Which, by the way, if Absalom returned victorious and found him this way, I mean, he's, his life's at stake here. I mean, Absalom would probably, with him showing this type of respect and love for King David, probably would have, would have killed him. But he truly was, was mourning over everything that was happening to King David. Verse 25, it was when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? So he answered, oh my lord the king, my servant deceived me. Speaking of Ziba, the one that we spoke of a little bit earlier, he was up there with Shimei. Remember back in chapter 16, he came to David bringing all sorts of gifts and everything, and David asked, where's Mephibosheth? And he said, oh, he's, he's back there. He's, he's, he's going to try to take the throne. He said, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride out to go with the king because your servant is lame. So he asked him, get a donkey for me so that I can go with David. But then he didn't. Moreover, he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my Lord, the king, is like an angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your sight. For all my father's household was nothing but dead men before my Lord, the king. Yet you set your servant among those who ate at your own table. What right do I have that I should complain any more to the king? 
So the king said to him, why do you still speak of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. So he promised all of it to Mephibosheth first, took it, basically took it away, gave it to Ziba based on his story. Now he's saying, all right, you guys just divide it up. Mephibosheth said to the king, let him even take it all, since my lord the king has come home safely to his own home. Here we see again the heart of Mephibosheth. He doesn't care, just as long as... David is back and he's safe. Now, Barzillai, the Gileadite, had come down from Rogalim, and he went onto the Jordan with the king to escort him over the Jordan. Now, Barzillai was a very old, being 80 years old. Some of you are saying, that's not very old, but it was then. <laughs> and he has sustained the king while he stayed in Mahanaim, for he was a very great man. He was very wealthy and so wealthy and so generous that he was supporting David and all of his people while he was in hiding. He was sending food and, and supplies to them. The king said to Barzillai, you cross over with me and I will sustain you in Jerusalem with me. You come with me now to the capital and I will take care of you. But Barzillai said to the king, how long have I yet to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem. I'm now 80 years old. Can I distinguish between good and bad? Or can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? I, I'd, be, I'd be a waste for me to go there and eat all of that great food and, and everything. I can't even taste it. Or can I hear anymore the voice of singing men and women? I mean, all of the great entertainment that's there, I can't make it out. Why then should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant would merely cross over the Jordan with the king, why should the king compensate me with this reward? I didn't do it to be rewarded, I did it because I love you. Please let your servant return that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. However, here is your servant, Chimham. Let him cross over with my lord, the king, probably one of his sons, and do for him what is good in your sight. The king answered, Chimham shall cross over with me, and I will do for him what is good in your sight, and whatever you require of me, I will do for you. All the people crossed over the Jordan, and the king crossed too. The king then kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his place. Now the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went with him. And all the people of Judah and also half the people of Israel accompanied the king. So there's a large contingent of people now moving with David into Gilgal, moving towards Jerusalem, get back home. Behold, let's see here, that, verse 41. And behold, all the men of Israel came out to the king and said to the king, Why had our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household and all David's men with him over the Jordan? How, co how, come you're, how come you're going with them? How, the, 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 the Judah and these people, how, you know, how, we want to be involved in this. Then all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is our close relative. Why then are you angry about this matter? Have we eaten all the king's, at all the king's expense or anything been taken from us? So what's your problem? We're, it's not like we're here to get something from him. He's, our, he's family to us. We're here to bring him back home. But the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, we have 10 parts in the king. You're just one tribe, we're 10. Therefore, we also have more claim on David than you. Why then did you treat us with contempt? 
Was it not our advice first to bring back the king? Yet the words of the men of Judah were harsher than the words of the men of Israel. Again, I look at this and it's just, it's, it's, if it wasn't so sad and it wasn't so typical, it would be comical. These people who just a day or two before are fighting with Absalom against David are now arguing over, well, we, we want David. No, we want David. No, we want David. And I just, I laugh because how many Chris Christie supporters are going to be Marco Rubio supporters when, if he's the nominee? And how many Trump supporters are going to be this? I mean, now they're just attacking each other. And now later on, it's going to be, oh, yeah. so fickle. <laughs> and if there wasn't that in me at times, I could sit in judgment, but man, we can all be fickle, can't we? And it, it doesn't tell us David's reaction, but I can almost just see him sitting there on his, on his donkey going, can't be serious. And I got to go back to this? Maybe I'll just go get a condo on the beach in Joppa and just <laughs> hang out. I'm 60 plus now. I just, I'm just going to, who needs this? But he doesn't. He goes back to Jerusalem and lives out his days as their king, regardless of how fickle they are. And we're going to see, <laughs> we're going to see, there's a, we're not done with this craziness when we get into chapter 20. But I can't help also but think of our king. And I, you guys need to be so thankful that I'm not Jesus. Because I know me. And I'd have been like, you guys, just whatever. <laughs> I don't need this, you know, the, the way that, you know, because again, I know me. But that's not him. Regardless of how fickle and how shallow we can be, he loves us and he will always be our king. He loves us and he will always be there for us. Great king. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for that truth. That you are faithful to us because that's your nature. It's not based on our nature. Your faithful to, faithfulness to us is not based on our faithfulness to you, and we praise you for that. We thank you that our relationship to you was purchased by your blood. And your promise is that nothing can take us out of your hand. Lord, forgive us for our fickleness, Forgive us for our tendency to panic and run, for our, our tendency to, to see the storm coming and to focus on that instead of focusing on you right with us. Lord Jesus, we ask that you just have your way in us. Guide us and lead us the rest of this week. Lord, we desire to be faithful witnesses of your glory of your salvation, 
and of your lordship. That we might live lives that are worthy of the calling that you've placed on us. And Lord, that we would be excited to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, because it's a glorious truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.